Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent Marketing Podcast, where we talk to industry experts about the ups and downs of marketing. Our host is Mike Williams, Director at Jetstream. Welcome to another episode of the Turbulent Marketing Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Williams with Jetstream.agency. Uh, uh, and we're here today with Julia Stead, from the CMO at Allocadia. Uh, but how I met Julia was when she was working at Invoca out of Santa Barbara. Uh, and I was working at a company called Ring Partner. And we were uh, working together uh, on providing uh, phone calls to, to businesses. Uh, one of the things that I really uh, remember about working with Julie at the time was she was the one that introduced me to account-based marketing, uh, which is really kind of an interesting way of looking at things where you, you focus on uh, specific accounts rather than kind of doing a, 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 what do you call it, a spray and pray. Uh, so really excited to have Julia here today uh, and talk about the highs and lows of marketing. So welcome, Julia. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to pleasure to be here. I guess you could say, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you and catching up a little bit. I I definitely remember, yeah, crossing paths back back in my Invoca days and um, chatting about ABM strategies, and then also just chatting about Canada because uh, I am Canadian born and, and raised, although I live in California now, and it's, it's always pleasant to cross paths with fellow Canadians. Definitely. You kind of got the best of both worlds. You get to be Canadian, but you live in a beautiful place like uh, Santa Barbara in California. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. So um, why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about uh, your path to being CMO at Allocadia and maybe a little bit about yeah, what Allocadia okay. is as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, as, as a good CMO, I should probably start there. Um, and talking, talking about what, what I'm doing today in my company. So uh, I am uh, the, the newly appointed CMO at Allocadia, uh, joined about four months ago. Uh, Allocadia is, is a platform specifically for marketers to manage all of um, your budget and investments, um, management process, planning, and uh, ROI measurement. So kind of that, that center of, of record for, for all things budget and investment planning um, and alignment to strategic goals and ROI. Um, but prior to joining Allocadia um, this past fall, I was at Invoca for seven, seven years, um, led marketing as, as the VP there for my last few years. And then prior to that, had really been focused on demand generation and, and leading the demand gen team at, in, at Invoca. Um, it feels like that's been most of my life uh, lately, but prior to that, I did work in, in San Francisco for a startup for a year. That was my first foray into um, California, Silicon Valley um, tech companies, but prior to that, I was in Montreal, um, where uh, I, I spent a good amount of time as well working for what at the time I didn't think of as a B2B uh, SaaS company, but but absolutely was um, an affiliate marketing uh, technology platform um, slash uh, agency. So um, that's kind of my my career in a nutshell, and, and the backwards way that I that I worked myself to to where I am today. But I've always really been um, passionate about about SaaS, about selling B two B, and um, been fortunate enough to to work with some really fun, interesting people and, and companies and across kind of a, a variety of, of technology offerings um, in that B2B SaaS world, whether it was um, tracking software, intellectual property management software, 
call intelligence, and now um, budget management and strategic planning. Very cool. Yeah, it's quite the quite the path. Um, mm-hmm. Just just one uh, clarification. What, when you say demand gen, what exactly do you mean by that? Basically, creating pipeline um, for for the business. So all of our events and digital advertising and email campaigns, all of those kind of direct response um, tactics, and, and working really closely with our SDR team and our sales organization to. Um, help create qualified opportunities for the business. Very cool. Yeah, no, I appreciate you explaining that. Uh, I'm just looking at your LinkedIn profile. Uh, So you have a a Bachelor of Arts in Communications from McGill? From McGill, yep, yep. Um, I remember uh, as a a person growing up in Thunder Bay, I was so excited to move to Montreal, the big city, and uh, had a a great time at McGill. I, I double majored in history and cultural studies. Uh, and uh, as you can see, that's not directly applicable to what I do today. Um, but after, after my undergrad did work for around five or six years, uh, and then went back to school to do an MBA at the University of Montreal, because I really, A, it was super valuable um, for me. A lot of people uh, have questioned me on, oh, you know, did you really feel like you got your, your money's worth in an MBA? And did you really feel it was necessary? And, and for me, it was, um, because it helped create some structure and um, best practices education, I guess you could say, to to my business education, which was pretty much um, non-existent or learn on the go uh, previously, and also gave me the opportunity to take a lot more formal courses in marketing. Um, and I think it's important to learn both from hands-on as you go um, um, experience, but also if you can, it doesn't need to be an MBA program or or a degree, but finding ways to also educate yourself, whether it's online courses or reading books or whatever. And so for me, the the MBA program was a really structured, um, focused way for me to kind of level up my my business acumen. And to this day, just last week, I was having a a conversation with our our sales and marketing um, operations team about capacity for our sales reps and the volume of um, campaigns that we were launching. And really, it was um, a supply chain management conversation just using mm-hmm. marketing and sales words. And so it made me kind of chuckle because I, I took courses on supply chain management doing an MBA. And I was like, oh, who would have thought that that course would pay off, uh, you know, whatever, 10 years down the road in, in a different context. Right. It's finally applicable. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was kind of curious about that as well, because, uh, you know, I've been, I graduated with my uh, Bachelor of Commerce in 2005. And I've kind of wondered about that MBA. I kind of, I kind of say I like to remain a little bit uh, stupid, for the lack of a better term, because I think that entrepreneurs are kind of stupid in that they're willing to take on these things that they don't realize aren't going to work, and then they find a way to make them succeed. So I don't want to, almost don't want to be too smart, but I think I'm just holding on to that and grasping because I don't want to actually go back to school. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's always two sides to every coin, and for me, because my undergrad degree was just so far from any kind of business right. uh, education you know I was like I film studies that's that's just so so not applicable um it was useful but one thing that I did seek out when going back to school was a program where there was a requirement that you had to have a certain number of years work experience before joining mm-hmm. and even a certain level of management experience because most of my deeper learning was just getting to pick other students brains on oh, yeah. on what they knew already and stuff you know it wasn't just a bunch of um 
people fresh out of their undergrad that didn't really have any world, real world experience and were only talking about the theoreticals. There was a lot of kind of teamwork and projects and, and learning from another, which I found really valuable. Yeah, I bet that was super valuable. And, and I do agree with you as well as, as reading and seeking out learning, but also having those peer groups that have that similar sort of uh, challenges that they're dealing with can be so valuable. So there's probably other ways to get your MBA, even if you don't actually get uh, the designation. But Exactly. And ways that are probably a lot cheaper. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> you know, definitely worth pursuing. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, all right. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be great if you could share, you know, one or two uh, highs or lows in, in your uh, marketing career and we can kind of dive in on, on those. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, fun just kind of prepping for this conversation to, to take stock and think back over my kind of 15 plus years um, career so far. Um, and I'm, I'm an optimist. So of course all the highs stood out in my mind and I was like, Oh wait, there, there have been some lows, but I'll start with a couple of highs. Um, so I mentioned that I, I worked in San Francisco for a startup. Um, I did a short stint. It was, it was the only time I've worked for a company for only about a year. Um, and it was for good reasons. I ended up moving on because my, my husband got a job offer and we needed to move. But anyway, um, small startup, three people. Um, I joined before the, the product was live and um, within, and, and my role was going to be um, actually, I think my official title was sales director. Um, so it was, it was myself, we had a, a marketing director and then um, the founder who, I don't know, did everything else, I guess you could say. Um, and, uh, and eventually I, I took over the marketing um, piece as well but I mean when you're a three-person team everybody's kind of a, you know all hands on deck doing stuff but anyway um the big high for me was selling to our first enterprise customer we launched our it was it's an it's just it's a very successful business today intellectual property management software called IP folio but we launched I think it was in February or March officially the platform was live um you could pay us money for it and then within a month or two um we closed our first customer um, and I was, I was the one, I mean, the, the founder, um, helped with the deal, but it was my first time, um, selling enterprise software. And, uh, it's, it's a very, I'm just going to say the name cause who knows who's listening, but it's not a big deal. Um, Logitech was the customer, which is a huge, um, mm -hmm. huge company. And so I was really proud and I got my first commission check. Um, and I'd never gotten an actual commission check before either. And so I was, that, that for me was, it was a big high, um, and you have those moments of, of early success and they're not that common in the startup world, especially when you're that small, but you know, you win, you win your first few initial customers. Um, and the other reason why it really stands out in my mind is um, I clearly have not pursued a path, a career path in sales after that and, and really stuck more with, with core marketing stuff, but it gave me an empathy and an understanding for um, I guess you could say how hard it is um, doing enterprise sales, but also just what's involved. And that's always really with me as I work closely with sales leaders and sales organizations to um, a I've got that perspective of what what their jobs are like and B always put yourself in your teammates shoes so you can understand what they're going through and it helps you to to work better with them so so that was really um, one high for me yeah that, that seems like such a valuable lesson uh, because I always think about coming from the marketing side and I've been on both sides but uh, coming from the marketing side, really thinking about how sales and marketing sometimes can fight with one another because they just don't understand where each are, are uh, coming from. And I always think of the movie, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Gary, mm -hmm. Glenn Ross, <laughs> right. It's kind of like that classic example, but 
having that understanding has probably been pretty beneficial uh, for yourself in, in your career. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And it's something that I've learned. I, I mean, I've chosen to work for small companies um, throughout my career as well, which means you do, at least at some point, will end up being more of a jack of all, all trades. Um, mm. But it, it makes it a lot easier to get the perspective of different folks on your team versus when you work in a large 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 corporation and everything's more siloed and you really you're lucky if you get exposure to different parts of marketing much less different parts of the business um so yeah it was um it was a it was a neat learning experience for me and something that i i keep with me um to to this day yeah i bet do you work with sales obviously you work with sales now but do you you don't oversee sales as a cmo do you no no um I, I don't at Allocadia, we've, we've got a neat structure. Um, both our sales and customer success report into the same amazing woman, uh, Jocelyn Brown. She's our um, SVP of sales and CS, I guess is her official title. Um, so that, that was something that I was excited about when I joined Allocadia. Um, the idea of both those teams reporting into the same person because really the customer journey, like you don't really have the prospect journey and the customer journey is two separate um, I don't know, things, things isn't a good word, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I like the idea of just when you become a, um, when you become a customer, things don't dramatically change. You have this consistent kind of journey from the, the first time you hear about us as a business through that sales process, through your, your life with us as a customer and having it um, at the highest kind of strategic level um, combined, I think is, is a pretty interesting approach and one that I was excited to, um, to partner with somebody on. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it makes me think a little bit about um, the HubSpot flywheel. I, I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that, but the, the customer is at the center and then sales and marketing yeah. and, and customer experience is all uh, around it. But, you know, the importance of long lifetime value of a customer is becoming so much more and more important and has a real impact uh, on marketing. So, you know, it, it just makes a lot of sense that, you know, sales and marketing flow together as well as customer experience. And, and we really have to be making sure that our, those teams are cohesive in order to ensure that the uh, customers get a cohesive uh, experience along the ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I sometimes feel that B2C companies are, are ahead of the curve over mm -hmm. B2B where in, in B2C, the customer is always first. And, and there's been this, mindset shift and i'm sure hubspot is in a, a big a big um cause of that and, and other prolific companies but a big shift in in the b2b world now of putting the customer first and being customer centric and like you said that that flywheel approach and i i think it's great um because just because you're buying software um doesn't mean that you don't want to be treated like like a person right and, and have that um engaging experience all the way through yeah absolutely um just to kind of back up on, on this story too, I'm kind of curious about the, the process. Like if you can kind of elaborate on, if you remember what, what that was like to getting this new client and, and kind of the, uh, achieving that, that big sale, what, where did it start and what kind of, what did it look like? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it was kind of a classic blend of sales and marketing efforts. I think we, we would, um, go to and again being like so so early stage we didn't have brand recognition we didn't even have a product we could sell yet but we we started our marketing and brand awareness i guess with um going to events and um 
this wasn't an ABM strategy at the time, but if I think back on it, it, it kind of is the idea of mm. these smaller events where you know what companies are going to be there. And these are companies that have um, a high likelihood of needing a solution like yours. So that's kind of how we started to um, warm up the market, I guess, if you will, going to a number of smaller um, like chapter type events and, and networking events for, for the industry um, and making those um, person to person connections and then following up with um, email and, and phone. And um, <laughs> I was basically like the, the marketer, the SDR and the sales rep kind of all, all rolled into one. And when I say SDR, it's uh, sales development rep. So, so the, the kind of more, um, junior type of sales rep that does that initial really trying to get a conversation going with you and understand your pain points and see if there's a qualified opportunity there. So, so that was it. It was, um, it was a couple of in-person um, conversations at smaller industry events and then following up and um, doing my best to succinctly and kind of no BS style explain what we do and what the value proposition is. And then the product itself was great. And so I think it's right. always important. It's a lesson I've learned to like get, get the product in front of people as soon as you can. Give them that wow moment as soon as you can. Um, and, uh, and, that, and that worked. And, um, and then it was one or two in-person meetings at their, their office. And then just being, being diligent. And so I think that's also what I, where I gain respect when people are trying to sell to me for just the, the diligence and the... Um, the persistence that it takes to to get these kinds of deals done. Someone can see a lot of value in what you're selling and, and want it, but they're just so busy in their day job that you really do have to to um, be persistent to to get the deal done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it, it kind of as you were talking about that, it kind of feels like manual retargeting, where it's like you know they're going to have the initial <laughs> yeah. visit to the website slash phone call, uh, and then we're going to see yeah. them at a conference and we're going to be in their office and. I just, I, you know, as much as we probably both love marketing and the scale that it creates at the end of the day and at the end of the day, you're creating relationships and, and meeting people face to face at conferences and in their office is just so valuable and really builds beyond, uh, you know, just generating leads and, and converting them to sales. And, and that's how you create long-term customers, uh, especially probably, you know, maybe more so in your experience, but dealing with enterprise clients. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a reason that event marketing and, and big conferences and trade shows and smaller events are still as, as popular as they are today, right? Not everything's gone digital because um, people still want to get out there and talk to people one-to-one and um, and do that more in-person networking and learning. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, it's, it's interesting kind of as, as I've been thinking about this and as we've been talking about it too, um, and the idea of ABM strategy and showing your product right away and making sure you're connecting with people. Um, I'd say a, a low or, or a lesson learned um, along my journey over the past few years um, was, was related to this. So um, you mentioned uh, us chatting about ABM and it was great. And, and I think it was maybe back in 2015 when at Invoca, we first piloted um, an ABM project and, and we had great success. It was in tandem with the conference actually, um, doing a campaign where um, we picked a target list of accounts and um, put together a really nice offer for them that we shipped to them in, in advance, where it was meet with us at the show, make time for us. Um, and in exchange, you'll get this nice, valuable um, gift for your time. 
it was hugely successful and that was really the, the impetus for us um, scaling out ABM more at our company um, sort of proving that hey if we if we pick who we're going after rather than waiting to see who comes to us or trying to go after everybody and seeing what comes in um, it can be successful but something that we that we learned along the way we had one campaign that that really bombed I would say um, it was a direct mail campaign and we are we are experimenting with different messaging and we were trying to get away from um, the incentive gift offer, I guess you could say, um, for people's time and just send them information. But um, I think where we fell short is we, we over-indexed on sending just too much content that was, was too wordy and wasn't particularly interesting to our audience. It was interesting to us because we were basically just talking our own language and um, putting together all of our different kind of value propositions and features um, and, and sending that out to people without offering something valuable for them in return. And I'm not saying you always need to incentivize people to take action. You don't always need to dangle gifts in front of people to take action. But I think we, we put ourselves too much in our own shoes um, with our messaging and the content we were sharing and um, didn't make it fun or interesting or and now I'm making it sound horrible. <laughs> but, you know, we, we didn't make it as, as fun or engaging for, for that recipient as, as we should have. We really should have put ourselves in their shoes and thought through, if I'm on the receiving end, what is, what is interesting for me to read? What's a good use of my time? Um, what would make me respond to this? Instead, we just put on our, our own marketing hats and, and thought through more like, what do we want to push to them rather than what would they want to receive? And so as a result, our, our response rates were, were really low. Um, we tried tweaking it a little bit and it improved a bit, but we ended up just scrapping that program and, and trying out some other ones that went back to being more successful. So that's, that's been a good reminder that I have to um, quite honestly check myself and folks on my team. I feel like it's something we do almost every like six or nine months where it's like, okay, wait a minute, are we getting too much back into our own world? And are we forgetting to put on our, our, um, our recipient hat or our prospect or our customer hat? Yeah. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. And it's such a classic um, problem, right? I think that a lot of times, especially when you're in a startup and it's moving fast and you're trying to grow as quickly as you can, you know, you may not have the time to look at that before it goes out and say, Hey, this is speaking to us, not to them, but you do kind of get in your own uh, bubble. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if you have any tactics for how to get in your users or customers uh, or prospects shoes. Like, do you have anything that you do or is it just kind of a way you look at, look at them or, uh, you know, check over material before it goes out to kind of really get like, how do you, how do you get in their shoes? Yeah. Um, a couple, a couple of ways and there's no quick fixes, unfortunately. Um, there's very few things in life that are, that there are quick fixes for sometimes there, but anyway, for this, I'd say one, one thing is taking advantages of taking advantage of conferences and trade shows and, and talking to people in person. I think so many of us go to events with again like a goal of I need to sell and I need to get this many good qualified conversations. And that's that's important. You need goals like that to to deliver ROI in the event. But carving out time when you are in person with people to not talk about your business, to not talk about you, um, and just learn from them. Just ask them questions try it like get in there in their mind um not in some weird psychological way you know but just chat with them like 
hey, what are, what are you, what marketing, because um, I market to marketers, what marketing tactics are working for you these days? Or um, what are what are some of the challenges in your business right now? But without a goal to, to wedge your answer into their answer, but genuinely just to listen and fact find and, and just leave it at that and not even try and then steer the conversation into some kind of sales conversation, but just purely leave it at that. And then in the future, fine, go back and, you know, whether you see them the next day or whether you email them and schedule a follow-up call or whatever, then you circle back with your messaging. But um, when I, when I allow myself that space at events to just do some learning, um, I think that's one valuable way to, to better understand um, who you're selling to and better understand your customers. Um, I'd say another angle is talking to, to folks in sales because they have to do a lot of um, discovery. They do a lot of the, those initial um, they ask a lot of those initial questions when they get someone on the phone or by email and um, they don't have that marketing bias. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just trying to better understand, okay, what's, what's my in here? What are, what are the buyer's pain points? Um, and they're really on the front line. So spending time with sales and, and uh, I listen to recordings or conversations between sales and prospects as well mm-hmm. to understand kind of the unfiltered questions that, that prospects are asking. And I find that, helpful as well. So I don't just again default back to, well, I'm a marketer. I know what marketers want. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really uh, interesting. And, and uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, there's no way, cause my, my original thought was, Oh, well, if I'm sitting in front of uh, my campaign, working on some of the copy, here's an exercise I could do. But what you're saying is you got to get out there and talk to people, right? There's no yeah. short answer. There's, there's no kind of shortcut here. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. Although I will say too, sometimes like I would say trust your gut too, because there have been cases where um, we'll have a campaign or let's say it's a booth, um, booth design for a trade show or um, a big digital uh, ad campaign that we're going to launch. And it's gone to where it is and everyone feels like, oh yeah, you know, it's good. Um, but then you have that gut moment where you look at this and you're like, no, this just is not great. Um, and there are times where fine. You just let it go. Not great, but good enough because it's not going to be a big thing. Um, but I think it's, um, it's important to trust your gut and not be afraid to be the person that calls out like, Hey, wait a minute, let's hit pause here. I know we have deadlines, but like, this isn't, this is not great. And is it better to just put crap out there and get mediocre results or what will actually happen if we wait another week and try to dig deeper and find a better version and put that out there. And Sometimes it's just put a little bit of crap out there or sometimes it's, you know, let's dig deeper. You can't always, you know, go the extra mile and, and make everything perfect. But I think there are definitely times where even though it can feel scary or you're worried you might piss people off or whatnot, um, it's better to just hit the pause button and say, nope, we're going to keep working on this until it gets to a point where we would actually want to receive it. Because I think, no, I think we, we can all agree that um, the world does not need more boring b2b marketing <laughs> <laughs> definitely we can all agree on that that's yeah uh, that's for certain um we, we talked a little bit about product management uh beforehand and some of this kind of sounds like product management right where you know you want to iterate and improve you want to do some stuff internally but you don't want to overdo it you eventually kind of have to put something out there uh did you do anything yeah. uh, like I'm really looking at, at marketing more so in a, in a product management way because we can do that with digital. But was there anything that you do, any kind of practices you have for, hey, I want to test this to an audience. Or I kind of want to throw this kind of copy out there. 
Are there any techniques you use to just kind of test some marketing tactics, uh, get some feedback and then improve and iterate and, and change kind of like you would on a, a piece of software? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, testing is so important. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I always wish I did more of, you know, it's like, I'm like, Oh, if I had more time, I would test more. But, um, I think doing split testing on landing page copy and ad copy and email copy is, is so important and really, um, to your point, like, like gets you to the answers of what is the, what, what is the most effective way to, to position our product and to, to resonate with people rather than just a bunch of marketers picking what they think sounds best. Um, and it doesn't need to be overly complicated. You know, it, it can just be try out two different versions of, of a headline or, or, um, your, your, your three value prop bullets or something like that. Um, so I think that's, that is very important and, and pretty easy to do. Again, it's like just set a reminder to yourself when you launch something new. Oh, when I launch something new, I'm just going to test two versions of this. And then whichever version is better, that will be the, the big ongoing you know, version that we stick with. Um, and I think with um, the product marketing as well, if you can, getting feedback from customers on what they prefer. And in my experience, customers love, marketers love talking about themselves. I mean, I'm on this podcast. I love talking about myself, you know? So <laughs> That's we're it never, here, right? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. People like to talk. Um, and so when you ask customers for feedback on um, what resonates with them, in most cases, as long as you don't make it hard for them, you know, if you, as long as you're not like, please write me an essay on which mm -hmm. version you like better, um, they are happy to engage. And it, it has, um, Kind of bonus benefits because you're continuing to just build stronger relationships with your customers. You're showing them that you value that your you value their opinion, and you want to better understand how they perceive your your software or tool that they're buying from you. Um, so I, I think it's it's really valuable. Um, it's basically all upside there to to in small snippets and um, easy ways uh, just get a bit of customer feedback on on your messaging as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're, we're privileged in that we can try stuff and take it back pretty quickly and hardly anybody notices. Uh, so that's yeah. certainly an advantage. Uh, you mentioned that you're an optimist. Uh, has there ever been a, a time where you've just been a, like just a pure pessimist where you're like, oh, this really isn't going to Like, have you had, had those lows uh, in your career? Um, no, but I'm pretty, I don't know if I was, I'm pretty nuts about like, when I have a problem, um, I drive my husband nuts with this. I always need a plan to solve it. I don't like just letting, like if something's not working for me, um, sometimes to a fault, I, I move to action rather than to introspection, I guess you could say. Mm. And so, um, so I tend to sort of identify what the problem is, put together a plan and move forward on it. And where, that, where I guess that does become problematic is you can't always fix things quickly right um and so i'd say as, as and this kind of goes back to um sort of you were talking about highs and lows and like some of the lows that i've experienced in my career um are things that can't be fixed quickly and for me it, it's usually people um challenges um so, so two big ones are when you need to fill a role um and you can't fill it fast enough and that that has been a it's not an ongoing challenge for me, but if I think about things that have held that growth or, um, or success, having key roles open for too long um, can be 
pretty critical when you're in a business that's trying to grow quickly. And, and I really think that hiring the right people is probably the number one most important job um, that you have as a leader, no matter what your function, uh, if it's marketing or, or something else. Um, and so where I have gotten frustrated and made a few bad decisions is if you've got a, a critical role open and you're just not getting the, the perfect type of candidate that you're looking for, but you settle because you, you're feeling the immediate pain of, I can't get these projects done. Um, I just, I just desperately need someone. Um, and that, that never pays off in the long run. And so I've had to kind of grapple uh, with internally with myself, that, that frustration of I've got a plan. I need to hire this person, um, but I can't find them. And sometimes you just need to be patient and kind of weather the storm and, and wait until you really find the right person because making the wrong hire um, ends up being much more um, destructive, too strong a word, but like it sets you back even more in the long run, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've, I've certainly heard that before. Um, but I think the immediate pain of I have to do this, I have to continue to do this. If I only had this person, I could get on to the bigger things for my role. Is there anything that you do to kind of manage yourself through those tough times? Like if you've lost a, a key role or a key player, um, and you're like, oh, I have to assume some of this responsibility or redistribute it until we hire. Is there any advice you can give on how to kind of deal with that? Because I agree that when you do yeah. make the, the wrong hire, it's, you know, it's detrimental in the long run and even worse off. Right. And then you're just back to square one again anyway when mm. it doesn't work out. Yeah, I, I'd say there's, probably, there's, there's three things that I've gotten better at. Um, and it's sort of, you look at this scenario and I guess I'd say like I, I pick one of three options um, when I'm stuck in that scenario. One, first, first and foremost is um, go back to everything that's on my plate or on my team's plate, all the pain points are feeling by not having a role filled and get pretty ruthless about prioritization and have the questions of like, okay, if we do not get this done for another six months, what is the business impact? Is it massive or is it minor? Um, and if it's minor, then I just flat out say, we are not doing this. Um, it's, it's on the pause button and message that really clearly across the organization or the team or, or whoever is impacted so that people's expectations are realistic. And, and I stop saying, I, I stop trying to like chip away at it or just mm. keep telling people like, oh, it's coming soon. I just make a really clear note. We've made the conscious decision. Unfortunately, this thing is just not going to happen for six months. And, um, and here's why we decided this doesn't need to happen. And, that's all just be okay with that. Um, and that, that works sometimes. Like it's when you can look other people in the eye and everybody agrees like, okay, we're just not going to try and do this and it's going to be okay. Um, that helps to alleviate some of the frustration, I think, but that doesn't work all the time. Um, in, in kind of the second scenario, if it's something that needs to get done, um, but like just can't wait, but um, isn't necessarily doesn't need in-house expertise, then I look at outsourcing it. So I've gotten better over the years at, mm. at hiring contractors um, for, for short-term projects that need to move forward, but don't necessarily need that, that expertise that comes from in-house. And um, I wish I'd learned this sooner because there are a huge variety of excellent contractors out there or agencies that can help when you need some, you know, when you have like a, a finite project that needs to be done. Um, and then the third scenario is, this absolutely has to get done. Um, it's not something that you can outsource. And then in those cases, I, after probably like four hours of being grumpy, I suck it up and say, okay, I'm just going to do it myself. Um, 
and then reorganize my own workload for whatever the time period is and, and basically just shift my own priorities and say, okay, I, I, I tried the other ways. This thing needs to get done. It, it needs in-house expertise. I will do it. What else am I going to end up having to take off my plate as a result? And then doing the basically the same thing for that thing that's being taken off my plate. You know, it's almost yeah. like a constant game of, of Tetris of fitting things in and, and reprioritizing that. Yeah. That's kind and, of a good approach here. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that the optimist uh, in yourself is looking at this as an opportunity uh, you know, what yeah. can I outsource and, and have someone else do ongoing, or maybe we don't actually need to do this task. We can reprioritize and, and do away with some things that aren't actually having an impact. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I learned this the hard way and, and I'll just put in a quick plug for my, my former um, CEO, because he was great at doing this. I mean, the CEO is probably the, the last person you would think should be rolling up their sleeves and helping um, hands on with projects. And, um, and you don't want them doing that all, all the time, right? But but there were one or two cases where um, I was new in my VP role. I had critical gaps in my team that I needed to hire for. I wasn't able to get to everything. He had a certain skill set that could help. He wasn't able to fill some of the gaps in my team, but he was able to fill some of the, the gaps in me. Like, you know, I, I started doing some of the gaps in my team, and he was able to step in and help with one or two things that I just couldn't get to. Um, and we agreed like this wasn't a long-term sustainable plan, but it really, um, it, it's helped me realize that nobody is, is too senior or too important to step in and, and um, help out when it's really important for the, the good of the company. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes everyone kind of chips in and that can be really good and valuable um, for the team. But I agree, you don't want the CEO doing uh, too too much uh, all the time. No, <laughs> you don't want to become no. reliant on that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious just looking at your LinkedIn profile. I was originally looking at it and I didn't see that there were other experience. I'm like, man, she just jumped right into a director role. Um, but you 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 had some other. You were affiliate marketing manager uh, and a communications mm-hmm. assistant. I'm kind of curious about how you made the jump from being a marketing manager to to director. All right, and and because that's you know, I always look at these higher roles, VP or, or, or C-level roles. Uh, you're kind of moving bigger pieces, right? It's a, it's a very different role. And sometimes, at least this is my uh, experience with it, is, you know, it's not so much what you do during the day, but it might be what you do during the month or the quarter. Um, can you talk about how you made that jump? Um, for- yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I have lots of thoughts on this, actually. Um, I'm like, where to begin? One, I think... <laughs> titles can mean so many different things um at different companies right um like and um and that's and that's important to think about and to not necessarily i mean i think seeking higher titles is good as a means to um figuring out your career path and what you want to achieve but then also thinking what is the role associated with the title not just saying oh i want to be a director or i want to be a vp but but really thinking through like what does that mean to me? Does that mean managing a large team? Does it mean working strategically with other leaders? Um, but, but how I was able to do it. So when I was at um, uh, Ecom Access, which is the parent company of, of Share Results and Income Access, the affiliate marketing um, technology and agency, um, I was a manager and I was managing a team. I was managing a team, I think at one point of, of 10, 10 to 12 people. Um, and then, but it was, it was very much a people managing role, not so much a strategic working on, on the business type of management role. Um, and then I went back to school to do my MBA and then it was this perfect blank slate for me to go to any company and 
do do what I wanted. And so that's when I moved to San Francisco, um, which is a whole like the the tech startup world is a whole kind of. And this was ten years ago, like wild west of companies growing fast, big job titles being thrown around. Um, you could be the president or I don't know the COO of a five-person mm-hmm. company, you know, <laughs> yeah. two years out of college. And what does that really mean? You know, it's very different than a COO of a different role. So anyway, um, that's when I was able to step into a director role. But as I kind of explained earlier, it was a three-person company, um, and I had no direct reports. But my the expectations for my strategic contributions to the small but mighty team were much higher than my my manager role. So again, like it wasn't managing people, but I was overseeing the the kind of go-to market um, strategy. And that was a, a great learning opportunity and and got that director title kind of on paper. And then when I stepped into my next role, it was a director title again, but with some people on my team. And so that was, I'd say, my first real director role where it was a mixture of people and resource management and strategic com- uh, contributions to the, the, the company. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that you mentioned uh, the most there was kind of around strategy, right? And really moving mm-hmm. out of execution into strategy. Cause I think it's easy to get stuck in execution because uh, it yeah, can be exactly. fun. I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, th- I think that's maybe one area where, especially for people that are kind of more starting out in their careers or, or looking for growth, it's, you don't need to focus so much on having people on your team and managing people. I think that's where most people's minds go when they Mm -hmm. think about promotions and it's almost like empire building, but really where, where I've seen the most growth in my career is when I've stepped up strategically and thought about how I can drive business impact through, through myself or through different resources. But, um, thought about it that way. Thought, what about, what does the business need to grow and how can I contribute from that perspective rather than thinking, um, a director or a VP is somebody that has a big team. Right. Right. No, that's really important. I haven't actually considered that myself and thinking about that role because, uh, you know, strategy is, is a very different way of thinking, but I do think usually about how many people I'm going to manage and oversee. So, and the responsibility mm-hmm. that comes with that. So I, I like that. Um, is there another, uh, sort of marketing win or, or story you can share about a, a time you had a, uh, high growth or just kind of a, a real big win for yourself? Yeah, a, a fun moment. You may have even been there. Um, mm. That comes to mind for me is, um, so when I was at Invoca, we we had an annual um, event. I'll put it that way. And, and when I first joined, it started off as, as it was great. It was, it was a customer appreciation event with, um, with wine tasting and golf. Um, and it was really about building relationships with our customers and um, showing them a good time, basically. And, and it was, that worked for a long time and, and was fun and everybody enjoyed it and saw the value, but there was an opportunity for us to, to really grow that into um, something much bigger um, where we weren't just um, showing customers appreciation, but putting together valuable content and network, bigger networking opportunities for them. And so we, we slowly kind of morphed, um, that smaller event into what you would think of as a more traditional um, customer conference or, or user conference or, or um, industry type event. And so um, year over year continued to grow and we brought in um, customer keynote speakers and we invited um, people in the industry who weren't just customers, but prospects and, um, and analysts and so on. And it really turned into um, a really successful event that spans 
um, three days and we got a lot of positive feedback and engagement from everybody that attended. And a highlight for me was um, standing on the keynote stage um, in sort of the, the biggest year, um, which would have been, I guess, the last year that I was there. Um, anyway, and just seeing it all come to fruition and, and see it all come together and be up there talking to an audience of hundreds and um, kind of see that, that vision um, come to life and how it started off as something really small with maybe 20 or 30 people and, and turned into this much bigger successful event. Um, really, really what felt like a, a big high um, in my career to date. And something that one of the reasons that made me so happy was um, everybody there seemed to really be getting value and enjoyment out of, we, had, we didn't, it wasn't just a party we were throwing, but they were getting value out of more than just having fun. They were getting value out of the learning and, and, um, and the networking and the content. So, so that was really fun and, and a, a big win for me, I think. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I love that your uh, marketing highs are about real things that happen, not just some digital, oh, I got so many clicks to this or I sold so many things online. Because uh, it just, it speaks again to the relationship piece and the value in that. And, and I have been, I don't know if I was at the specific event that you're speaking of, but I've been to, I think, three or four of those uh, in mm -hmm. my, in my time. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's valuable because there's education at the event, there's relationships built, there's fun. Um, you know, it's, it, you feel appreciated. There's awards, those sorts of things. So I could see mm -hmm. how that, you know, could kind of culminate as a, as a big, uh, win for you. And it is a fun event for the customers as well. And, and plus, you know, you probably see all of these accounts online in some CRM and maybe you've spoken to them or you've met them at a conference here or there, or you've been in their office, but to have them all together in your space, you know, showing them, you know, uh, your office, your city, uh, probably feels a lot more connected and, and uh, even genuine. And, and I can see that being a, a kind of a big win, especially for, like you said, uh, someone who is an optimist, <laughs> you can see the positive in a lot <laughs> of that. Uh, but I've, you know, yeah. side, and it was a great event and it was a ton of fun. And, um, you know, Santa Barbara, uh, the city uh, certainly, adds to that but a lot of it was meeting the people that have helped us uh that had helped us at invoca you know the customer service reps and salespeople and you know various uh roles so it was a good event thank you yeah it's it's, it's a fun just chatting with you about this because i really am it's like it's a self-awareness for me seeing the the theme of connecting people because i was also just now thinking about well four months in an allocadia I've, I've had some some great high moments um, even just in those four months. But what's really so for me too is, is the interactions that I've had with our customers. So we did a user group um, in, in San Jose a couple of months ago and getting to just hear firsthand how customers are using our software and, and how it's impacting your business and stuff. That, that to me is always just so exciting and motivating. You know, I, I walk out of interactions like that and that's what inspires me to, to go back and, and work harder and do more. Um, it's really the ultimate um, proof point of success, I think, um, is when you see um, your your customers really getting the value out of the product that, that you as a marketer are, are telling them they should get. I think that's, that's super, super validating and um, the, the biggest high that you can kind of get sometimes in, in business. Yeah, yeah. And customers, it, yeah. Yeah. And it's just kind of bringing it all to fruition, right? You're, you're thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, where did they first hear about us? You know, where are they out in the funnel? And, 
and then you know they're a customer for five years you kind of think a little bit less about that you think more about like the friendship and the relationship and how you can help grow their business but it is a, a long process along the way that certainly begins at, at some stage with sales and marketing telling you hey you should check this out and uh it, it's going to be valuable for you uh, and the the byproduct of that is usually a good friendship or relationship but it's easily um, almost forgotten in those early stages that we are building a long-term relationship so i think mm -hmm. it's a, it's a good thing that that life lifetime value of customers seems to be becoming more and more important and not just growing revenues but i think it's just a good um, connection of people and companies yeah yeah i would agree for sure cool um yeah well I, that seems like a pretty good uh high point to to end on unless you had uh, anything else to to kind of add um i mean no i like ending i like ending on on high points i was also just sort of um running over mine too some of the like the the quick wins or or quick tactical um yeah. things things that we've seen and, and one other thing that that stood out to me um is display advertising which is going to sound funny that like i i go here and and, and on this note <laughs> and then kind of more top level with some of the other stuff but um i as a marketer i was always really jaded about display advertising because i would never really especially b2b marketing like mm -hmm. b2c is different but b2b wouldn't ever really click on on banner ads although um over time and realize I, I do pay attention to them. I'm always looking at, you know, when you're on whatever your website's reading the news or, or for me, it's um, guilty pleasure, celebrity gossip, um, <laughs> seeing what banner ads are, are displaying. And, um, and I don't click on them, but I'm very aware of the companies that are advertising to me. And then when I get an email in my inbox, I'm always like, Oh yeah. Okay. And you guys have been following me around for a while. Um, and, it's like they, they wear you down a little bit, um, which is the, the negative way of saying they create successful brand awareness so that yep. when they, they do reach out, you do respond, but it's just not through the ads. So anyway, um, a while back decided to invest more in digital advertising and did some, some um, what do you call it? Control testing to see of, and this isn't the sophisticated way of doing it. They're more sophisticated ways of doing this, but um, we would look and see, okay, of accounts that have seen ads versus accounts that, have not, um, everything else from a marketing um, campaign perspective is the same. The ones that saw the ads had a, um, a, an engaged, like um, didn't click through ads and convert, but had a certain number of impressions or, or would have a few clicks, had a higher likelihood of turning into an opportunity. Um, and that was the first time I was able to kind of um, at a high level prove out the value of, of display ads. And then from there started to uh, definitely invest more in it, even though it doesn't drive the same volume of direct conversions that say um, PPC does. So, so that was that was a win too. That um, was kind of refreshing, I guess. I had this hypothesis of like, oh yeah, they got to work. There's got to be a way to just kind of back of the envelope test out. Do I really think it's having an impact? Um, and ever since, I'm I don't want to say all in on display advertising, but I really think it's it's valuable and something that marketers shouldn't shy away from just because they can't necessarily get the same level of granular conversion data. Although nowadays, like I know there's a lot of view through um, attribution options, so you can get a lot more sophisticated about it. But I guess my, my final point is display advertising is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I think, you know, I can relate to that because I, you know, I come from the performance marketing space as well, where we really kind of focus on the bottom of the funnel and we're just capturing uh, things, but they do have to get into the top of the funnel somewhere. And, and that makes sense that 
display, you know, could feed that and, and maybe that initial um, point is a little bit more, uh, I don't know, it's a less, it's less tangible. It's less kind of, you can't really feel it, but uh, it's out there and display advertising can certainly work. That's why these things continue to exist. So, you know, people, yeah. <laughs> people that, that aren't in the industry that I talk to, they don't understand how, Google and Facebook work and make money. And they're like, yeah, but nobody clicks on ads. And I'm like, yeah, they do. And so if display advertising <laughs> yeah. continues to exist, you can assume that it's working for somebody. So that's a, that's great. Yeah. Hearing that. Um, yeah. Cool. One other thing that I just, again, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, but you know, I see this thing for women in revenue. Can you kind of, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, and this would definitely be a high on, on my career as well. Um, it's an organization, um, founded by Sherry Johnson um, a little over a year ago now. She and I think we were a group of about 10, 10 other women or so um, co-founded this organization to really help mentor and educate and further the careers of women in, in revenue um, positions. So not just marketing, but sales, um, finance, kind of marketing operations, sales operations, and so on. Um, because there were a lot of um, growing communities for for women in tech, but not so much for these um, mm. money generating, money facing roles, if you will. And um, it's it's created this wonderful community um, and grown to over a thousand members in less than a year, and, and fosters a lot of, of, as I said, like mentorship, um, education amongst one another, sense of community, and we're all there to prop each other up and help each other grow careers, whether it's somebody in their first entry level position or a CMO like myself. Um, so it's really been. A, a fantastic journey and um, the the level of engagement and interest we've seen um, from women has been wonderful. We do events in the Bay Area at least once a quarter. So driving that, that again, person to person interaction, we do speaking events where to, to educate the community. Um, but then we also just have this, this big digital community through, through Slack and LinkedIn um, where everyone's just kind of connecting directly, sharing best practices, sharing ideas for career growth and so on. So, um, it's been wonderful, and if there, there, this will be my one plug. If there are listeners yeah. out there that are interested in or are pursuing a career in, in revenue, marketing, sales, finance, um, check us out at, at womeninrevenue.org because um, it's a fantastic uh, nonprofit organization to, to help. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, and I hadn't even thought about that. There's lots of women in tech uh, or women in code, but there's not really necessarily women in marketing or uh, women in, in um, uh, sales. Uh, talking about these things and, and talking with other leaders and making those connections. So uh, congrats on that. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Uh, so is there anywhere that the listeners could follow you? Are, are you on Twitter or you post on LinkedIn or somewhere that they could connect and, and learn more about you and uh, your career? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Julia said S T E A D. Um, and then on Twitter as well, I was early adopter. So I got just my name <laughs> at Julia said, on uh, on twitter as well would would love for folks to reach out um i'm an open book about all things marketing and love chatting and swapping ideas awesome well this has been great it's been uh, awesome hearing your stories and and uh, reconnecting and chatting with you and i really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, sharing your highs and lows so thank you thanks it's been great mike good chatting with you and, and hope everyone enjoys listening Thanks for listening to the Turbulent Marketing Podcast. Our show is brought to you by www.jetstream.agency. Be sure to follow us at Jetstream Agency and get more episodes of the Turbulent Marketing Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share this with one person.